my guest today is Daryl Ron. Um, I originally heard the name with Ron's Automotive, I think it was. That was a long, long time ago. Didn't put that piece together until more recently. Um, but uh, I've got Daryl here in front of me. Um, and Daryl, I'm going to just jump right into this. Um, what I know a little bit about your story, and we know each other a little bit, um, you are, as I experience you, you, you are always happy. You, you, I, I've seen you struggle a little bit, but you just seem to have a joy that comes out of you that you seem to approach everything with. Would you agree with so that? So you're, you're saying I'm a magician. <laughs> <laughs> well, when did you see me struggle? Uh, you know, just occasionally. Um, like how? Uh, I think there were a couple times where you were, um, I, I saw hints of it. Because I've learned how to know what to watch for. Yeah. Um, what would have been a hint? Can you remember? It, it was it was when you and your wife were talking about I think scheduling some things. Okay. And um, and you guys had a really good way of communicating hmm. that I think the average the average observer would have no idea. Right. Right. But I think you guys were kind of like you read the body language. Not on the same page. <laughs> um, well, see, the reason I ask is that bummer you caught me off guard <laughs> you weren't supposed to see that right no i i am overall extremely upbeat positive happy now but you've not had a life that you have as a flip side that that's yeah. not that's not possible i don't care who you meet i don't care who they think they are they're gonna have the other half or the other side as well Right, and you've had plenty of the other side. Yes, but but overall, I agree with what you think I look like. I am what you think I am. I am ninety, high nineties percent, always happy, mm -hmm. upbeat. Plenty of reason in your life to not be happy. We'll go through some of those, but I'll tell yeah. you why. It's because I've seen the effects of what it's like to be negative. Hmm. What it's like to be down, depressed, what it's like to be um, in seclusion, what it's like to be lonely. Not me. I've seen others this way. And it's an obvious, I don't want to have that. I don't want to be that. I don't want that. Now, is there, we're all going to experience some of that? Yes. But is it a choice? Yes. We, we make those choices. We do. We don't have that built in. You were born with it, and you were not. You have the decision. Mm -hmm. It's God-given. I think it's God-embraced. Uh, we don't think of God as a depressed, lonely, negative. So what's your head being filled with? Right? Anyway, that's, yeah. that's yeah. enough of that little bunny trail. Because well, no, I, I appreciate that. Um, you know, and, and it's, it's, not, it's not easy to out of the gate choose thankfulness or positivity and i'll use positivity as an umbrella over a lot of the different things yeah yeah uh it's not easy to come out of the gate and do that when and on any day but especially when you're going through trials or life's beating you up um unless you've made a habit of doing it again and again and i think if you've not made a habit of being positive likely you've made a habit of being negative yeah, and life will beat you up. Right. Or or just being disconnected. I yeah. guess I've seen yeah, those yeah, as disconnect well. Disconnect is a good word. Um, but so you made the habit of being positive. I remember even as a kid, really young, going to my dad's place of work, 
watching him work, do whatever he was letting me do to, so I could be working for dad. Right. And whistling. I would be whistling. My dad stopped me one day. He goes, why are you whistling? I said, I don't know. It makes time go by. I, I feel better when I whistle, and mm-hmm. I don't mind doing what I'm doing if I'm whistling. He just picked it up right then and there that somehow I'm having fun with something I probably wasn't supposed to be having fun with. Well, and, and you can't. I, I, I'm a whistler, too. Okay. You can't uh, someday catch me off mic, and I'll, and I'll whistle some, some classical music for you. I can't even do that. Um, but uh, you can't whistle and be angry. I think you're right. I, you just can't? No. Um, I think the same muscles that you use to whistle are very much, are, are very smile. in line with the, the same, yeah, to smile, the same muscles to smile. Makes sense. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, but we won't, we, we won't <laughs> well, do that to the a, listener. A whistling contest. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so, so talk a little bit about that. Well, if we go back to what would make me not be whistling and maybe be, you know, what has caused me to possibly not go that way. Yeah. Where, um, where were you and who were you at the time? What age? Okay. So I got to really start, I call it, and I, and you kind of know this for me, but I call it two major turning points in my life. Mm-hmm. When I'm talking major turning points, yes, there's, there's getting married is a turning point. There's having kids is a turning point, mm-hmm. jobs, but I'm talking about the biggest in my life that could possibly be. The first one being becoming a believer in Christ at age seven. Pretty seven. young. Really seven young. year kind of don't know up from down, but you know, the Bible talks about little children. Yeah. And how they know things. And that's when I decided I was uh, going to a Christian school. I was in a Christian family. And I remember specifically these missionaries, they talked every day for a week, chapel type thing. And they had a, a calling afterwards. They wanted to know if you want to come up and accept Christ. And every day I was like, man, I really want to go. And I'd sit there and go to my best friend who was to my right. And I said, do you want to go? He says, I don't know. So every day we're just kind of battling on that. And then Friday comes, we know this is the last day. I go, hey, can I really think we should go? Do you want to go up? I don't even remember what his response was. Mm-hmm. I just knew I had to go up. This is it. I'm going. I want what they're telling me I need. You wanted to go. I wanted to have what they told me I needed. It sounds to me like what you didn't say is, what you didn't just say but maybe true is you couldn't stay seated. I couldn't. No, I knew I was, I I don't even remember my friend. I wish I did. I haven't seen that guy ever since, really. I mean, I can't remember the last time I saw him. You were compelled, Um, driven. Absolutely. After five days. So you're seven, you're going to to the school, and the missionaries are talking Talking about what? What was heaven. it they said? Heaven. If you died, where would you go? If you weren't alive, where will you be? And at seven, what I understood, yes, heaven sounds pretty good. So I made that commitment. I remember just couldn't wait to get home to tell my folks. Had you, en- had you encountered a lot of death at that point? No, 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 no. Nothing. Nothing. Just that it was this abstract yep. thing. Okay. Yep. Okay. Yep. All right, now we're going to... So you wanted to go to heaven. Absolutely. So what what was that like? You got up, you went forward? I was just happy, yeah. And we got to go, and uh, it was explained to me what I was doing, what I was wanting to do, uh, acknowledging that Christ was going to be number one in my life. God was going to be number one. He forgave my sins. 
I understood that. A seven-year-old, easily. I mean, yeah. my kids at age three and four could understand that then. And so I, I prayed the prayer for God and Jesus to come into my life and take over and be the head of my life. Well, at seven, you still don't really know what that is. Right. But I was excited, told my folks. They were excited. All right, so now you go through normal kid stuff. I'm gonna blame right. it all on my brother. No. Well, so what? Was, so did you? Did anything change? What? Um, no, just maybe my spirit. I, otherwise, I don't remember specifically feeling any different. Other than I knew from that point on, if I was going to die, I'd get to go to heaven. So it was kind of like I didn't have to worry about that anymore. And then just go on and be a kid, right? So did you did did it change your outlook on life? Did it change? I don't know at age seven it really did. But then you go to age twelve. Mm-hmm. Okay, now you're kind of understanding a few things. Right. Go through a church Bible class, where typically at the end of that Bible class, his, Bible history, church history, you would then, um, if you were a believer, you would be baptized. Okay. Okay. So that's kind of like the next level. Right. So I did that. Remember at a church camp that same summer, kind of doing a rededication. Now, that, that word's not in the Bible, <laughs> but it's still a good principle, I feel like. Because mm-hmm. at age 7, I knew what I was doing. I knew I was fine. But at age 12, I knew some of the things I was getting into and some of the things I was doing that I knew God was not pleased with. You know, I thought maybe maybe I ought to rethink some of this stuff and do a rededication of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did that at age 12. Now I'm starting to understand the things I'm doing wrong that God truly doesn't want me to do is truly wrong. And I need to stop doing. I would do stupid things like shoplift in stores. My brother and I would steal candy and cigarettes. And back then you had to steal, uh, if you're stealing cigarettes, they didn't have Bic lighters. You had to go steal the lighter and the lighter fluid and put it all together to try to smoke a cigarette, which didn't ever work out for me. <laughs> it made my brother smoke for 50 years after, but uh, I didn't ever smoke after that. No, but anyway, those are kind of some weird little things as a 12-year-old would be thinking mm-hmm. that I didn't want to displease God with. So I had to get that stuff out of my life. Not that I lived a perfect life, but I knew I knew I'd have to be very careful. Now, some of the things I was doing was completely wrong, and it didn't feel right. As a believer, that just didn't feel right. So... Something inside you said, "Yeah, this is not you're doing. You're you're. I I would recognize it now or years later as grieving the spirit. Mm, you know? Yep. Okay. Then you go two more years, and now you're at my second turn. The rededication wasn't even my second turning point because I was already a believer. I wasn't becoming a believer again. But the next big one was at age fourteen, and that's when I found out that I had bone cancer. Now." We're getting to the point where, wow, what is going on? What's literally God doing? And why is he doing this with me? I thought things were going pretty good. Right. And, and You're 14. I'm 14. You've I, given your life to Christ. I want to go do sports. Realize you're a little off track, and so you're getting back on track. Yeah. You're, you would have been, what, an eighth grader? Ninth. ninth Beginning grade. of ninth grade, the very... <clears throat> First day of going into school, my mom drugged me out early to go to the doctor to figure out why I had this cancer. I had a lump on my right leg, mm-hmm. right thigh. 
It was, it was a lump that had been there for like three months. It wasn't going away. It wasn't going away. So I was playing a lot of backyard football, get a lot of bumps and bruises. I was wrestling around with my brothers, right? get a lot of bumps and bruises. And so I didn't think much of it, except this one bruise never went away. And it slowly, I say slowly, but three months, but in three months, slowly got bigger and bigger and bigger to where it was the size of a large grapefruit mm. from the inside out resting on that bone. Mm. So it was literally too late to repair. Yeah, because we're talking early 70s. This was in the early 70s. Yeah, 73. Okay. So go to the doctor. The doctor's very concerned. Says, uh, I got to get you to the hospital immediately. You got to go home and pack and go straight to the hospital. I want to start tests the very next day. I want to do x-rays. I want to do blood tests. You might have cancer. That's how he actually said it. Before we left the doctor's office. Which was which was unheard of. Well, Child cancer. Well, yeah, it wasn't very popular. It wasn't very popular. No, very rare. Um, weirdly, within six months, uh, John F. Kennedy, the younger Kennedy guy, had his leg amputated because of bone cancer. Hmm. Six months after me. Anyway, because he wanted to be like you. Yes, I think I think so. <laughs> so, the word cancer. That's not in my vocabulary at age 14. Right. Right? So my mom's a nurse. She was a nurse at that time. We're talking about it on the way home, going to get packed to go to the hospital. I said, Mom, what's this cancer about? I thought only old people get cancer. She's kind of feeling the same way. Like, really, not understanding it either. But we got to go. We got to figure out what's going on. We got to get those tests done. So we go. And they do these tests. Now, these tests are like, I don't know, a lot of different shots, a lot of different, I felt like a pin cushion. Right. Um, and they get to the, about the fourth day and they said, you know, we got to do one more big one. I said, what's that? We got to do a biopsy. What's a biopsy? Biopsy is where we got to go into minor surgery. We're going we're gonna to put you to sleep and we're going to go in. We're going to open up that massive, massive lump on your leg. And we got to take a sample of that out and we got to test it to see what it really is and how bad it is okay now i woke up from that surgery this might be a little too much so you're 14 yeah scared (laughs) yeah yeah very scared because i just don't know we're we're i don't know anything about what we're doing right far as i know my brain set my mindset was i have can't could have cancer i'm probably gonna die Hmm. Okay. Right. I, I, there's I, no internet, obviously. No, no. no way to get inf- really no, any information. No, no. I'm probably going to die. So that surgery, I wake up, felt like somebody had taken the biggest kitchen knife that my mom has in the cupboard and was stabbing my leg mm. because of the pain from that, from surgery. that surgery. But So long, where were you, where was God in this process? All right. Well... Let me go a little further because that's when they determined I had the cancer. So I think God showed up right then. I mean, he was always there. Right, right. But he showed up to now I have cancer. Now I very, very well could die. I mean, they all said it. You have the, the highest, fastest degree of cancer progressing. So we have to move fast. 
So yes, you have cancer. We don't know where it's all at in your body yet. And you, we have to do something immediately. Mm. But here in Lincoln, because I grew up here in Lincoln, right? they didn't know what to do. So they took us to Rochester, Minnesota at the Mayo Clinic and let them decide. That was a long drive. Yeah. Because I don't know what we're doing when we get there. They said amputation could be a part of it, but maybe they can save it. You know, we just didn't know. Well, once we got there, they said, uh, well, the, you know, the good news, the bad news. Right. Well, the bad news is uh, we have to amputate your leg. Your cancer has progressed so fast and so aggressive that amputation is immediately, I mean, the, the next morning. They saw me that day. The next morning, it was go time. Wow. You're, I, I just want to sit here for a second and just think about this. Everything went fast. So you're four days in the hospital here. Mm-hmm. Well, summer all, all, I assume all summer long you're active. Oh, my goodness. I was still playing football. <clears throat> I could have broke my leg, which would have set in more complications. Right. My bone was only a sliver in wow. one area. Wow. And then all of a sudden, first day of school, you said? Yeah. You get pulled out. Yep. Four days of tests. Yep. Just probably again, one after another. Yep. Like, when is this going to end? Yep. Now we can't even do anything for you. Nope. You're got to go across two state lines. Yeah, long drive, because you're thinking, what what's happening? No answers. No. Nothing. That's you when... you get th- there, yeah. and they say, it is, we got to take your leg tomorrow morning. That's the bad news. The good news, whatever that's worth, was it's not as, you know, in cancer, they always like to rate things. Back then, we only had a rating of three, and now I think they have a rating of four. But they didn't, they put it at the middle rating, not the worst, as far as spreading. Mm-hmm. But they still didn't know. They still had to do more tests to find out if there's anywhere else in my body. Blood tests would take care of that. So, I mean, we're talking, just the way you described it made me kind of go over it again. Four, one day, four days, travel day, I'm there. It wasn't a weekend like, we'll think about it and let you know on Monday. It's the next day you're amputating my leg. So my mindset now literally is going as fast as that too. I might have cancer. I do have cancer. I might die. I very much might die. And wait, wait, wait. Forget all that. Forget all that. Because, wait a minute, if I die, I get to go to heaven. That's, <laughs> right. that's, that's the good news, right? right? And I already knew that from age seven. And then at 12. I, that was what's, what made me feel... Ah, not 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 a true sense of peace, right. but a heavy duty. Worst case scenario, I die. I'm in heaven. How bad is that? Right. But then there was this thing where they said amputate. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, now my brain cannot wrap around that because I don't know anybody who has just one leg. I don't know anybody. Hmm. I know no one that's ever had their limb amputated. Hmm. What's that going to be like? Well, instantly, as a 14-year-old, you would start saying, there goes my ninth-grade football. Right. There goes my ninth-grade basketball. There goes my ninth-grade baseball. There goes my sports. Hmm. And I'm going to be in a wheelchair the rest of my life. That's what I thought. Yeah. Because nobody told me any different. And and you couldn't find out anything different? This is just what you have. Yeah, my mom's a nurse. She didn't know anything any different either. Right. Right. I just, I, I, I keep coming back to that because I think so much of us, uh, oh, yeah. anybody, anybody, you know, born in the last 30 years, 
they're all like, there's so much information. You're, I can find out all this research. kind of stuff. Yeah. But there wasn't then. It was, it was a, from an, a, from an age of enlightenment, it was a very dark. We had a set dark. of encyclopedias. <laughs> <laughs> if anybody knows what those are. I, I, uh, I think my son saw some at his great grandma's house. They were a set of about 24 books that cost $1,500 in the 60s. Yeah. You could buy a car. Yeah. I don't even know how we got them. Every family had to have one, though. You did. That was your. That was how you got your homework done. Yep. Yeah. Anyway. So, so now, wh- what did you? What went through your mind, and how did you feel when they said we got to amputate? Well, I, I think a lot of people will give you this answer. This is not my answer. And so, I really want you to understand this. I could have been really mad at God. Okay, and the reason I could have been mad at God is, yes, I have cancer. I might die. I get to go to heaven if I die. That's good news. But wait a minute. I'm now maybe not going to die, but I'm going to have only one leg. That is not cool. I'd almost rather die. In a weird way, possibly so. Yeah. So I could have been very mad at God. Why are you doing this to me? I I did not take that approach. I took the approach immediately because I had a lot of time to think about it in the hospital. I mean, when I say a lot of time, you're not, you can only watch so and so much TV. Right. And back then it was just soap operas. Right. There was just nothing else. And so I was analyzing and analyzing. I'm in the hospital. I'm a believer. I'm not going anywhere. You know what? Maybe God wants me to start talking to some of these nurses. Maybe they need to hear about me. Maybe they need to hear about how I'm okay with whatever's happening because this is God's deal, not mine. I totally wow. turned this over to God immediately because it is. I Somehow I knew this was not my body. This is not my own. This was God's deal. So I had to worry about it to a degree just to know what was going to happen and how I needed to react. But not to the point where I was going to do any blaming on parents, on God, on anybody else for anything. Absolutely. I took the stance that this is God's life. I'm just along for the ride. So I actually started witnessing to some of these nurses. And I would flat out ask them, do you know where you're going to go if you died? Because I'm there now. I know where I'm going. Hmm. It gave me a good opportunity to do a lot of talking. And and what would that be like coming from... A fourteen-year-old boy. I don't know. They might, and I'm an adult nurse. Yeah, I don't know. They might. I, I, however, saying that, I don't really yeah. feel like I ever got my full childhood from fourteen to twenty. Sure, sure. I don't think I was there. I but think I'm thinking I got that, skipped. I, I'm just thinking of that moment in the hospital. Yeah, how Here would they respect it? The Mayo Clinic, where they deal with all kinds of crazy stuff. People came from all over the world. All right, and at that, it was just one Mayo Clinic back yep, then. Only one. <clears throat> this is the best of the best. Yeah. The cutting edge. Not even sure how we got in there. And so, but doctors and nurses and, um, <clears throat> and here you are, they're worried about trying to save your life. And you're like, Hey, if, uh, if you died today, would you go to heaven? How yeah. do you know? Yeah. I imagine that was pretty impactful. I hope so. You know, I don't, who knows the results. Right. Hmm. So up to this point, had had you and your mom did you did you pray? Yeah, I'm sure we did. That's hard to remember that kind of stuff. I mean, we were um, 
a pretty close family. I knew my dad, you know, because of work, wasn't there until they said, you know, he came like a day later, but he came to make sure he was there by the time I had my leg amputated. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about, you know, because not knowing things, we talked about maybe an artificial limb. Sure. Okay, well, back then, that shows $6 million man. Yeah. Okay, that's all we knew. That maybe you could go 60 miles an hour. <laughs> right? Yeah. Right. Um, so I remember asking my dad the night before, you think maybe I can get one of those bionic legs? Be like the $6 million man. Right. You and Lee Majors. Yeah. He said, we'll get you whatever we can. You know, I think you're as good looking as Lee Majors. Well, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> it would have been, now just going for the perspective of my folks, think about them. Yeah. I'm four, one of four kids. And this one's, you know, what if it was one of my kids? Now I got to watch them go through this. Mm. Wow, that would have been tough. Yeah, yeah. So maybe in a small way, I took an attitude that I didn't really want my folks to be too bummed out either. Sure. I was always that kind of kid. Um, my brother would get in trouble. I would want to do what he was doing, but I want to get the backlash that my brother was going to get, and I really didn't want to see my folks be tormented from that kind of stuff either so right. i was kind of the good kid so were you are you middle are you middle yeah i yeah, yeah because i had a younger sister but we we're four so yeah right see so, but you had, so you have some of those traits of, of middle yeah the yeah, youngest yeah. boy so a little bit of a little bit of the wild right right but i never wanted to disappoint my folks so they had to go through a little bit of something there too yeah so you go in the next morning this is going to be strange because when I woke up, I totally thought that nothing had been done. Hmm. Well, you know, you're waking up, you're kind of half there anyway. Right. And I felt like I was bleeding because of a little machine that was off to the side here, kind of making a hissing noise. And I knew something was hooked up to me, but I didn't know what. And I'm a little drowsy. My mom's standing there and I'm asking her. Mom, I think something's wrong. You better get the nurse. And she's just smiling at me like, not moving, holding my hand going, I don't even remember what she said, but she's not doing nothing. And I I start waking up a little more and I, it starts dawning on me that maybe they did do something. There's only one way to find out. So I lifted that sheet up and that leg was gone. And the hissing noise I was hearing and feeling thinking I was bleeding, was some tubes that were hooked up into my hip, blood drainer tubes. Hmm. And reality, you're waking up, Hmm. lift that sheet up. Oh, man, I only got one leg. Did you you think for a second, like, wait, I can't, it's, it's just, I just can't see it. Well, it felt like it was there. Yeah. You know, this is now coming up in this September. It's going to be 50 years. And to this day, the leg still feels like it's there. You still feel it. Yeah, it's called phantom pains. Yeah. Yeah. So that was weird. It felt like it was there, felt like something was wrong, but no, reality was, oh my goodness, it's gone. Now that didn't last, but you know, a minute or two, and reality is, okay, now, now what do we do? And you just recover. But in four days... Now, i got to bring in this aspect. This is huge, 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 huge. Let's go backwards just a little yeah. bit on some of the things, the behind-the-scenes things that God was doing 
that I kind of knew about but didn't really know. Okay. Power of prayer. Okay. All of our relatives, all the people in our church, all those churches, everybody's praying for a speedy recovery. First of all, a recovery, right? Right. That you don't die and a recovery. And what was God's answer? Absolutely. I didn't die. And I was out of the hospital in one week after amputation. Now today, that's a normal, normal, no big deal. But back then, the doctors were so amazed that in seven days, I could go home. Hmm. Losing a major, major part of your body. So that's contributed to that power of prayer that I knew eventually and found out from friends and relatives that people had been praying for me all along. So complete, I need this to be understood. I had a complete answer to my prayer and other people's prayers. I didn't die Mm -hmm. and I recovered. Right Now I just have to go through life with a different type of set of rules. Right, right. So... Um, and, and I'm sure some of our some of our listeners probably want to know, like, was there anything? Do you, did you have a nub? Because you talked about maybe doing a uh, a prosthetic. Yeah, I have no stump whatsoever. The proper name is and I never can pronounce it quite right, but it's uh, out of the hip. So I still have my hip. You can actually lose your leg and lose your hip too. But this is I have no stump, but it's out of the hip. Took it out of the ball and socket, and. So there's nothing per se to attach it to the artificial limb. Right. But you can, crudely speaking, sit in a bucket sure, and create that that part of the leg that attaches right. to you in a, a waist belt and all right. of that. So they and took so, the they took the ball ball and socket and separated. Everything. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now today, yeah. This is a, a maybe a little side note that's just interesting. I have not had any doctor that would say this is what would happen. But I've had a few that entertained the idea of what I thought maybe would happen or could happen today based on all the things I've seen in 50 years. Mm-hmm. Today, since I was in my femur, you know, let's say about halfway up from my knee to my hip, of right. course, to be cautious, that's why they went out of the hip. They always go much higher. Right. Uh, kind of wish they'd left me something, right? But today, maybe, they would take your femur, slice right above the knee, Slice as high as you could up at the hip, or maybe even before, uh-huh. and just put in a piece of titanium tube. Put a couple couplers in, sew you back up, and away you go. And nobody would know except airport security. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. And so nobody would confirm that, by the way, medically. I've never talked to anybody, an orthopedic person or anybody. But, right. But I, I kind of believe that's maybe what would have happened. Would have right. been kind of neat. No spilt milk, not sorry about anything. Sure. But it would have been nice if I would have had a little bit of stump. Because it would have made the artificial limb a little easier to operate. Right. So that being said, I only made it one year wearing that leg every other day for a complete year. And then I kind of was off and on over the years. I actually had four of them made because technology got a little better. So somebody talked me into it. Right. Always too painful. Always too slow. I didn't care about how it looked. And, oh, I loved it when, it, you know, I dress up. And I could walk in front of you and the, the mount you know of me, I could walk past you and you would not know I had an artificial limb. Right. You might, at the most, think I had a sore leg. Slight limb. Yeah, I like the way it looked. But did I care enough about looks to have that? No. Right. So never was practical. Never was practical. Hmm. 
too and painful. So, and if you stick around for another 20 years, they might just somebody yeah. will 3D print a leg. Exactly. I still keep hearing about some really cool, not just hydraulic, but computerized. I just talked at the last golf outing that you and I saw each other. Yeah. There was a gentleman that was an amputee from the ankle down, uh-huh. and he has a electronic computerized ankle. Wow. And, and it was the first time he was going to wear it playing golf, and he wasn't sure how it was all going to work. Huh. And it worked. I'm sure it works fine. Right. Yeah. Some of that stuff is cool, but you have to have something to work with. Right. You have some stuff. Right. Yeah. So anyway. Hmm. So here you are, 14, a a week and a half after the first day of school. Yeah. You're home? Yeah, I'm home, but I'm homeschooled. I couldn't go back to school for about six weeks. One leg. Six to eight weeks. One leg on crutches. Now, let me back up on that. Crutches. Remember how I thought I might be in a wheelchair? Yeah. The day, four days after the operation, two guys in white coats come into my room. Now, mostly that's never a good thing. Right, right, <laughs> right. But in this case... They still it, haven't found me. They're, they're coming right, to take me away, ha ha, ho he, but they're not coming. here yet. Yes, and they are white coats. But these guys were uh, from uh, rehab, and they said, we're going to... I said, what are you guys doing? So we're going to get you up on crutches. Oh, oh, I thought I'd have to be in a wheelchair. No, no, no. We're going to teach you how to use crutches. Cool. What do we do? Well, let's go down. Let's go down to the physical therapy room, and we'll show you what we're going to do. Now, they taught me the most simplistic, simple things. I equate it to like a child learning to walk. Mm-hmm. You know, super unsteady, fall down, get up, super unsteady. I felt like I was a little kid, but I was walking on crutches. They taught me mm-hmm. how to open up doors. You, well, what do you mean how to open up doors? Well, a lot of doors are spring-loaded, so you got to get it open enough to get through or it'll slam you. Right. And how to sit down with a pair of crutches. You're going, what do you mean how to sit down? Well, there's a graceful way to do it and a clumsy way to do it. Right. And you don't want to fall down sitting down. And um, so on and so forth. Stairs. Big deal on stairs. Crutches first going up. Feet for, or Actually, I just said that backwards. Feet first going up. Crutches first going down. Or you're going to fall and break your good leg. Right. Um, all these things. I was just tickled pink. I was so happy. I was super weak, super, you know, <clears throat> sore and not feeling good. So, yeah, you just said that weak thing. And it, and it just dawned on me. You didn't have time to go through treatment. No. You know, here's the thing. Time wasn't – time was exactly the right – you said that right. But there also wasn't any treatment to be had because of the aggressiveness and, and advancement of the cancer. So normally you would maybe go through chemo and try to get rid of it or cobalt and – radiation and some of these things. Well, remember when I said 80% of that bone had been dished out in one area, just gone. You can't, you know, back then we couldn't get bone to come back. I don't think you can now either. But so, so there's nothing to repair, nothing mm-hmm. to heal. That's why the amputation. So, um, but then you're not taking treatments afterwards. Well, that was a big deal too. At Mayo's, it's kind of impressive. When you go to Mayo's, at least what I did, you would go, you would go into their, uh, clinic office, doctor's office, and you go into a boardroom type atmosphere. There's like six chairs on each side. You're on the end. Main doctor's on the other end. And all these doctors in between are talking about, wonder if he should have treatment. And they're talking talking. I don't even know what they're saying because I don't know a lot of the language. Right. And I just remember the kind of consensus was, 
well, he's 14, pretty active. You know what? Let's just see how he does. I'm like, wow, <laughs> this is really cool. Because I knew the, a little bit, I knew a little bit that if you had chemo, you got pretty sick. Yeah. And back then you got real sick. I mean, you still do now, but you, yeah. it was bad, bad on your heart, your body. Right. So I was happy they said no. I had to go back to Mayo's once a month for six months, then every three, and then every six, and then every year for quite a long time. And they never, ever thought I had to have any treatments after. So I never did. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Okay, so you're back home. Yep. A couple weeks of uh, homeschooling and recovering. Yep. Playing around with figuring out crutches. Yeah. And then I had to go back to school. Now, wait a minute. I didn't get to tell my friends that I left. I didn't get to tell them why I left. I don't know that they know that I've had my leg amputated. A couple of my real close friends came to see me at home. But it was scary because I went to a big high school. And what was that going to be like? Hmm. I was very scared. Nervous, maybe is a better word. Um, But it was okay. Because what the kids started doing, they said, what's it like? What did it feel like? What's it feel like now? I got to tell them all the same stuff I've been telling you. And I'd come to a door. And, you know, they taught me how to carry my books. We didn't have, I know this is weird, we didn't have backpacks in the early 70s. I'd carry my books. I had to pinch them between my crutch and my arm. And they, how do I get through that door? I'm walking up to that door. Well, I know how I'm going to get through because I got taught how to do it. Right. But everybody else is going, first of all, how is he carrying those books? And then, oh, let me get the door for you. Oh, sure, thanks, appreciate it. Okay, and I that was a very conscious decision I made right away. If you're going to open the door for me, I will let you. I will not make you feel bad by saying, no, I can do it myself, leave me alone. Right. Which I see today a lot with some of my disabled friends. Yeah. They get a little in their head about that. So, But here's the thing. When I would go walking up to a door and nobody else is around me, am I going to wait for somebody to come and open <laughs> the door? No, I'm going to open it and go through, and then people are going to see that eventually. You know what I did? I turned it all around, and I opened doors for other people. And I do that today. And sometimes we're both standing there for a considerably uncomfortable amount of time because they don't understand how, yes, I see how you're opening the door for me, but how are you going to get through? Right, (laughs) right. So that's part of a game that I like to play because then I I, I feel good about opening doors for other people. That shows them I don't make anybody feel bad, and it's kind of fun. And, and it is this positivity. Very, very. I got much. this. Yeah. 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 But I'm still a little nervous. And here comes the big one. Um, 14s, you know, now we're getting close to 14 and a half. You know, you're starting to like girls. Mm-hmm. But are girls going to like guys with one leg? One leg. I don't think they are. <laughs> <laughs> right? I, I didn't think they would. But the girls were just as inquisitive. The girls were just as nice. Obviously, people are people and they're friends. They're they're my friends. And the more they wanted to hear about it, the more I wanted to talk about it, the better I felt about the entire situation. Right. And the girl thing worked out. Right. Apparently. So wind this back a little bit. The more you, the more they wanted to hear about it, the more you talked about it. The better I felt. And I think the better they felt. Right. I I think that, like here, key, key to life. Be inquisitive, yeah. talk yeah. about it. Oh, my goodness. Be willing to talk about it. So today, if I go into the grocery store and I'm shopping, and a little two-year-old, a three-year-old comes up and says, you only got one leg. 
Okay. Now, uh-huh. now, how do I handle this? Right? Negative, mean, leave me alone, or, well, hey, let me tell you, you know, a long time ago, my leg got really sick, and doctor said I had to take it off. Now I use these cool crutches. Look at this. But sometimes the mothers will get in between us too fast, oh. and they'll shut it down, and they'll say, leave that man alone. Don't bother that man. Mm. Opposite. Bad, bad, bad. Disabled people in general. I'm yeah. going to give this super big blanket. If I'm wrong and you're disabled and, and you don't agree, uh, I'm sorry. But people want to talk. People want to hear your story. And you really do want to talk about it, too. You're just right. waiting for somebody to ask. Right. Well, especially if you're positive. Yeah. Well, I think it draws you out of some negative when you talk about your problems. You know? Yeah, because it, how many uh, problems in general? Yeah. Not just not just disabled. No, exactly. But sharing your problem. Yeah. You yeah. realize that it's you're sharing it, and it, and it's yeah. a shared burden now. Yep. It's not all yours. So you take that into big perspective. How many people do you think, in fifty years, have I been able to share a portion or a lot of my story, including faith in Jesus Christ? Thousands and thousands and thousands of times. Seems like it's not possible, but it happens to me every single day. Hey, how'd you lose your leg? I misplaced it one morning. Yeah, well, a funny thing happened to me on my way to work today. <laughs> right? So it gives me opportunity. So so now put that into perspective is why do you think if you were to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be your uh, next question, okay? I'm yeah, gonna, yeah. Why do you think God allowed this to happen in your life? That's a good question. Right. And the answer is simply so that you can shine your light of God through your situation, through your story, and show hope to others that have maybe something similar or know of somebody similar, or just in general, you went through that in life and you came out of it this way. Maybe I can too. My story is yeah. simply everyday life. Yeah. I have so I, I, I want to roll back here a second because yeah, yeah, I think yeah. I've captured a little piece of um, looking at how God works and, and who he is. God was there when, when you were seven and said, God, I'm going to give you my life. Mm-hmm. He was there between seven and 12 as he was watching what you were doing. And in 12, he said, you know what, God, I, I want to live more for you than I am. And and I don't think I, – I have this theory like God's not out there like upset at every single little mistake we make. I, I think the opposite. I think he knows we're going to make mistakes. Yeah. And, and he wants us to, to take those mistakes and learn from them and Absolutely. grow from them. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of times he lets us have the the brokenheartedness or, or some of those different things so that we can start to realize how good he really is but also then – for me, a lot of times it's um, when I start to realize, you know, my own kids. When there's like, I love them regardless, no matter what. They're Just my kids. let them make mistakes, and and letting them make mistakes, and wishing they wouldn't, but but watching them make the mistakes, but recognizing how much I love them, regardless yep. of whether they make mistakes or not. Yep. And I actually encourage my kids go make a mistake, because that's how you're going to learn. If you're not making mistakes, you're not going to learn. Go. But that same way that I feel and encourage towards my kids is the same way God feels towards me. Yeah. And and that if he loves me enough to let me make mistakes, he doesn't. Nowhere do I see 
him say, stop making mistakes. No. No, what he says is, come talk to me about it. Let's talk about it. And another way of saying it is hurting, because that's what's happening. Yeah. We're, we're hurting in that time. Yeah. Hurting makes you grow. Yeah. There is then that now I there. realize this is not what I really truly want. I realize right. this is what not what God wants. Right. And now I need to turn from that. But he, he as I see this, and, and I'm, I'm trying to encapsulate a little bit of, of God working in your life, he knew that you were going to respond this way. Yeah. He knew that you were going to pursue him and, and have a desire in your heart to share him with others. And so he's like, if you're going to do that, I'm going to give you a platform. Yeah. And every day he's giving you a platform. Every day. Is that not? Well, there's a little responsibility behind it. <laughs> okay. I was thinking about okay, this. Spider-Man. Okay, Spider-Man. Okay, Spider-Man. Yeah. I was thinking about this driving over here. Because in my everyday life now, and we're really speeding forward, but I literally, I just don't want to sound like I'm too good and make myself on a pedestal. But in my work as a locksmith, I literally pray for opportunity to share my story and find out about that other person, how they're hurting, and take and maybe even pray for that person, knowing I'm there to do a job. I'm there to earn money. Yeah. But am I really there? Is that my main purpose? Or does God have a different purpose in mind? Right. And very often, very often, I'm there not just as a locksmith. Right. Because I have an automatic... You have a conversation starter. Yeah, conversation piece, conversation start. I have yeah. an automatic built-in, hey, you look a little different. Something's not right with you. What's going on? Right. I get that a lot, too, <laughs> especially in the morning when I look in the mirror. <laughs> Something's not right with you. you yeah. Look, yeah. But th- they do, and it yeah. automatically, <clears throat> and if you respond in a positive, jovial manner, it, it breaks down all of the barriers to conversation. I have to admit, though, there's some times where I don't. I mean, I I can tell you many times I knew I just blew a chance mm. to talk about God. I just blew a chance to show a little more of God to this person, and I didn't do it for whatever reason. Didn't feel like you've, it. I was tired. You felt I, a nudge to oh, do yeah, something. I always know. And you don't and do usually, it. You know when I usually know it fullest is when I'm gone and left. Yeah. And like, oh, man, I just blew that. Now, I just let that go then. I said, God, well, I'm sorry about that. I'm letting that go. Tomorrow's a new day. My next customer is a new customer. You know, right. My next person. Who, and it's not always but, customers, by but the way. But doesn't that, doesn't that drive you to then try to do more? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that's, that's one of the reasons I think God, like, like I think he knows Yep, you're not going to do it this time. I'm going to. I'm still going to nudge you. He knows everything. He's still. I'm, gonna, I'm going to nudge you. Yeah. And then when that doesn't work out, what that shows yeah. is, from my perspective, is that shows the distance or the difference, the distinction between us and God. Well, I want to relate that to my everyday Bible reading, uh-huh. my everyday personal time with God, my everyday connection with God. If yeah. I don't do it, the nudge was there. Mm. Oh, you know what? I didn't take time to listen to God today. Mm. And then you start feeling the same way. Yeah. You know, um, I, I've, I've not ever really done this, I don't think, in a podcast before, but I'm going to break this out here. Okay. Um, and uh, do, 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 do. I, um, 
Man, I just you ever have those those brain fog moments where you think you know and yep. then you're not you're thinking sure. about a passage? And and okay. John. We're going to John. John's our buddy today. Um, while you're while you're doing that, I'm gonna I'm gonna reemphasize something. Yeah, and this is everybody. This is a little preaching moment on my part. We every single day have the opportunity to share Christ or God's love with somebody. Yeah, but we don't always ask for the opportunity. You're you will always mm. guaranteed a hundred percent of the time have the opportunity if you just ask and then recognize it. There's hardly anybody in the Christian world that would disagree with God is at work every single day. Yes. Are you, am I, a part of that work every day is the only difference. That's the huge He's going to use you or he's not going to use you. Use somebody else. Right. But he wants to use you. Right. Okay. What do you got? So as I, I was going through here, and it's, it's the end of John, um, the third chapter, and he says, whoever believes the Son has eternal life, whoever rejects the son will not see life and and this part of um if you read through some of the different uh translations it's um sometimes it's whoever believes the son or whoever obeys okay as opposed to whoever disobeys or whoever rejects right and as i was reading this morning it the integrity it's the belief is you know i guess um what I see in the in the rejects or disobeys um, is an action, but I thought belief was more a statement of fact. So disbelief would be a statement of fact, like just a it's, a, it's an analysis of the situation. I don't believe such and such. It's just where I am. Yeah. But what I started to see here is there's the if you believe, then that's actually an action step. Yes. And if this is true. Then, if I truly believe it, if I actually believe it, I act as if I do, yeah. and the actions come about. And it's that for me, it's the I I believe. I don't always act like I believe, right? And those are the times. Do I believe you're nudging me? Yeah. Do I believe you want me to do this? Yeah. I'm not going to do it. That's you know, some might go as far as that's disobedience and you deserve to be punished. Um, I'm not going to go there. I, I don't need to go there. I think that's yeah. a self thing you got to figure out. But 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 you, if you're saying, I just don't see God in my life. I don't see God working. What you're talking about this working every day. So I don't. Well, then you're not looking and you're not asking. Right. But if you if you believe, it shows up. Oh yeah. And and it's this for me. It was this integrity. Um, and and I'll be open uh, because I find that's the best way. My prayer this morning was, God, bring integrity in, into my life. Christ living in me, make me more integral. I don't even know what that word is. <laughs> but but get rid yeah. of this this the difference yeah. between what I believe and what I do. It's a surrendering of your will with God's will. Right. Uh, and, you know, let's break that down to... Do I have to preach? Do I have to spell the gospel out every single... No. It could be as simple as... And I know this is going to maybe rub somebody wrong, but it could be as simple as you're walking into or past somebody, a store, you walk, and you smiled at them. Yeah. You smiled at them. Well, you know, a few years ago, we hadn't seen anybody smile, so it was kind of <laughs> right. nice we could right. see smiles again, right? 
that is a demonstration of God's love to another person. Right. And they're going to take it that way. Yeah. Who doesn't like be smiled at? Or it could be as complicated as you talking it deep discussion about Christ, about God, mm-hmm. about salvation, and you, you know. I think I think one of the things, and and uh, and we're going away from I from, know from Sorry, the story, but, but it's good stuff. But it's the um, if God <clears throat> values that person, and I I use the word respect, okay, and and from a respect, not from the respect your elders, no. but from the recognize that that person is that they exist, and that they have a certain amount of value. And I think one of the one of the excellence, and I don't remember where I heard this, and maybe a listener can tell us. Um, but I heard that uh, there was like a ten foot rule that if you're anywhere and someone comes within ten feet of you in mm. the proximity, acknowledge them. Mm. I never heard that. Whether it's eye contact and a smile, whether it's high, um, just that idea of like I'm going to acknowledge that you're here and that you exist. I like it. I'm just. And that alone is showing respect and showing that value. Mm-hmm. So any type of acknowledgement, you know, I remember the old head nod, yeah, you know, yeah, you or the or the or the head bob, right, right, you know, or um, my favorite is is the smile and then the wink, smile and wink, because then that really gets them going. Yeah, I I just love sending people curveballs, right, right. Um, it's like, dude, did that guy just wink at me. <laughs> Uh, which, which growing up and, and even, even 10 years ago, it meant something very different than right, it right, probably right, does today. Right, right. Um, but that's it is that's part of showing that, uh, that I believe that there's a God who cares, right? That I believe a God, there's a God who says that you matter every single bit as much as I matter. So uh, we we, we kind of took a pause from you the story back about the girl. Yeah, that you were worried about it working out. Yeah. So as it turned, I mean, the punchline is I've been married forty two years, four kids, eight grandkids. Kind of worked out. You did worked did out right. really well. And you know, I'll tell you, I dated very few girls, and I cared for every one of those girls. But the difference between my wife and all these other girls was 100% complete acceptance for my situation. Hmm. And that was a biggie to me because I, how would I know? How would I know that a girl is going to totally accept a guy with one leg? Now, what's weird about being, quote, disabled, you always know when someone is comfortable with your situation or not comfortable with your situation. And I'm sorry to say there are uh, quite a few people who are uncomfortable with somebody being disabled around them. Well, I don't know why. I'll tell you a time I'm, I'm uncomfortable. Okay. It was a week ago as we were on opposing tees, opposite tees. And I watched you (laughs) swing your club and out and and I saw where your ball landed. And then when I came around and teed off that hole, you out drove me. Okay, that's a different kind of uncomfortable. <laughs> that's a competitive. I, I got two legs. I'm a whole lot more yeah. stable. My golf, well, my golf instructor says, "Okay, Thaddeus, you got to plant your foot here. Be very stable when you're swinging." And how's that guy doing that? Right, I know. Right, but I'm talking about uncomfortable at a point where they don't really don't want to be around you, and you know that. You know that you make them uncomfortable. Somehow, your presence. I didn't mean to, but right. yes, no. It's the disability. That's a weird thing, right? Yeah. No one ever talks about that. That's stuff I don't even talk about much, but 
So in every encounter of the hundreds of thousands of people I've ever come in contact with in 50 years of this situation, I always know if they're going to be comfortable or not. I'm going to give you a fun example for you. Yeah. Thaddeus. Yeah. As opposed to Matt that I don't know. Right. When you and I met, you instantly were comfortable with me. I mean instantly to the point where you had fun with me about my disability. <laughs> now, maybe everyone right. didn't know what we're talking about, right. but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. You could say fun, funny things or fun jokes about my disability because you knew I was okay with it. Yeah. Well, how did you know that? Matt, a- Matt doesn't know. He maybe yeah. knows now. Right. But when I first walked in, 10 minutes of talking to Matt, he didn't know. Right. But you did. That's the difference. Well, and I think some of it is also the positivity. Well, I suppose. Is that, that I come I come to it and like, look, it's that I'm accepting you exactly as you are. Yeah. And and this is how you are. Yeah. And I'm not going to pretend no. about blah, 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 blah. <laughs> so, if, so if you come in with one leg, yeah. I'm going to call you Stumpy. Yeah. Just whatever. Right. Or, or whatever it is. Now, translate that to the female thing. I wanted them to like me for who I am and not be pitiful, not be, you right. know, poor, poor me. And Deb, my wife, was miles different. And I thought these other girls that I really cared for, I thought maybe they were in that same realm until uh-huh. until I met Deb and realized, wow, there's a whole nother level of acceptance. This is good. This I, girl this girl's gonna be my wife. How could you what was different? Oh, that's just I, I don't, I, now we're gonna go into feelings because I felt accepted a hundred percent by her. Now, maybe it was a little bit of she never treated me like disabled. She never made me feel like I couldn't do things, couldn't provide needs. You know, just simple, I still opened the door for her. Mm-hmm. Um, I pulled out chairs. I don't know. She just, it just was completely different. Right. She dropped something on words. the floor and let you pick it up? Well, yeah, whatever. She would never, yes. She would never assume I couldn't do something or made me feel like I couldn't do something. Well, my folks kind of did that too. They never assumed I could not do. They always pushed me to do whatever I needed to do. Yeah. Um, so I think that's what it was. But it goes much deeper. The love thing, you can just tell when people love you. Right. Versus other people that you thought loved you and they never did. Right. Or not as much. So that part was really cool. That was a fun, fun. And then there's some really fun things. I think we told you uh, in the class about how Deb became a believer at age five in the local church. Mm -hmm. She remembers a tall, dark-haired woman explaining the ABCs of salvation. Do you know what those are? It's fun. Accept, believe, and confess. She's only five years old. Right. And Sunday school. That dark-haired lady was my mom. Uh, Cool connection, huh? Yeah. Well, how did you... Didn't she see you... When when did you two meet? Okay. Another fun story. I'll try to make it quick. She saw me in a magazine when she was in seventh grade. Mm-hmm. She saw an article. It was in the Young Ambassador from the uh, Back to the Bible broadcast. Okay. And it said, Daryl faces life. Okay. And it was an article talking about, and we haven't talked about this yet, but it was talking about my second bout of cancer which came a year after the first. We haven't even talked about that. <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing because we're, we're, we're coming never, up on a one hour. We're never going to make it. We joked before we started about being yep, a, tuning never. in next week for part two. 
So, so anyway, she's someone's magazine. So she's doing a research deal for school. So uh-huh. she's going to do a project about me. And she looks into it. She sees there's a previous article a year previous that says Daryl faces death. So boom, she goes, looks at that. That's when he has cancer. That she starts learning my story. And I'm just going to put in her words so that you guys don't think I'm making my head big here. Right. But she saw me as a celebrity in a magazine. Right. Had no clue I was a real person in her own city. I mean, right. she just didn't understand that. So she did this complete story and report at school that got a good grade and this fun thing. And then she sees me. And I, how long have you been? You've been in Ben Lincoln that long. But since mid-90s. Cool mid-90s. Crest. Cool Crest. Hmm. Cool Crest. It was a miniature golf course on okay. 48th Street, just north of O Street. Okay. And we had a, at the church that time when I was helping out with youth, we had a, a fantastic five nights thing. And we were out miniature golfing one night. And she saw me on one course with my friends, and she was on another course with her friends. And she says to their girlfriend, she goes, look, look, you know who that is? That's Daryl Ron. That's that guy with one leg over there. That's Daryl Ron. I did a book report on that guy, right? And then, coincidentally, we uh, were going to the same church. So she saw me. And um, at this same event for the whole week, there's something going on every night. And... It's starting to sound to me like she's stalking you. It, would, it kind of felt like it a little bit. <laughs> the, the rest of this story I'm going to tell you, it may be. Maybe. So at the end of the night, we're going to watch a movie. There's going to be a speaker. I was going to be one of the speakers. Right. And I'm in the back of the room, and I'm, there's a TV that's kind of in another room, and I'm waiting to see. I'm looking over my shoulder to see if something's going to come on TV. And she comes back. Now she is. She wants to meet me. And so she comes. Hi, my name's Deb. I know a little bit about you, but what are you doing back here? You know, why aren't you with the rest of the group? I said, well, I'm, I'm going to be on TV in a little bit. <laughs> from from Wood Swimming Pool, I did some TV news stuff on some of my swimming. I'm a swimmer. I was doing some tower diving, and I just want to see it on TV because it's on the news. Oh, can I come watch? I said, yeah, let's go. So instead of being where we're supposed to be, we go watch myself on TV. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's how we met. And then afterwards, I took her for a motorcycle ride. How many girls don't want a guy to give them a motorcycle ride? Right. And then, in her words, I did this at the end of the night, this infamous, uh, hey, we should go to lunch sometime. Mm. But then that sometime never happened. And I, three years go by. Mm. And I kind of forgot about her. Now I'm sitting in church three years later, and it's packed, and there's one chair open to my right, and I'm with all my friends to the left. She comes in with her parents kind of late, and they can sit two chairs behind me, but there's one chair left next to me. Mm. So she sits next to me. And I knew I knew her. <laughs> but I, she knows you. But I, Yeah, but I didn't remember her name. Mm. And she wouldn't like that, but that's the way it was. So, right. you know, you do that registration thing, church sometimes. Yeah. So she had to hand there me used her to be book. A book that you I got to down. see her name. <laughs> <laughs> right. and, then, and then after that, there was going to be another youth group that I said, uh, I think I might be going to that. She didn't know if she'd believe me on that, but. Anyway, long story short, we we ended up, I went to that youth group, and she was there, and she had planned, this is the stocking thing again, not necessarily for me, but she had planned to have somebody take her home, so she had her mom drop her off. Right. The topic that night that the pastor was giving was dating, Hmm. and he was kind of hard on the guys for not dating. They weren't dating. Right. And he was kind of hard on the girls at that time about careers. That would be looked at really terrible right now. 
But it was all about getting guys and girls together. Well, she knew that was coming up, so she purposely said, I'm going to make some guy give me a ride home. Hmm. Well, that guy was me. She talked to a lot of guys that night. I was watching her. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm never going to be able to talk to this girl. She's got guys around her all the time. Yeah. And then finally, there's no guys. And that's when I went up. I said, hey, you want to go have iced tea? And three hours of iced tea. Hmm. That was it hmm. from then on. So this is what I've learned is when, when you want to do something, you like make the connection and then you take it away and you make them want it. <laughs> I and guess so indirectly. She was over talking to all the other guys. Yeah. But the whole time you were probably the one. I guess. I'm I was hoping. ask her that. Yeah. You, you need, now you need to get the Paul Harvey rest yeah. of the story because yeah. she, she can fill in the gaps. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to accuse her of stalking too. Yeah. Apparently Please. you're not too upset. You won't no, press charges. I will not. At this point. No, it was good. Right. Right. Well, um, Wow. What a great conversation. I feel like it just went. I know. And that's what it always does. And it's not really even half the story. Right. Well, it's up to you what you want to do. And as I, as I think about this, I I just want to kind of rewind a little bit. It, It seems like God has been orchestrating this. Unbelievably. So you talk about, you talk about the, the, the other girls you dated that weren't quite comfortable with it, but she was. Because she'd already done a report on you. She knew me. She knew everything about you. I didn't know anything about her, but she knew me. Right. So she was already, like, she had already processed and worked through where you were at with one leg. Yeah. It wasn't a, It wasn't new to her. It, it wasn't a surprise. No. No. She no. already knew about it. But yeah. she also, because of, because of where she saw you, knew your faith, which was important to her. She knew exactly the background of that. Right. That was in print. And so... Which, which, I mean, that was very important to her. Yeah. And she said that. Yep. And so here she knows, I got a guy, I know his story. Um, I know he's going to pursue God the rest of his life. And, and that's who I want to marry is a guy who does that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, mm-hmm. I, I kind of, and she got to know you. Mm-hmm. You're funny. You're fun to be around. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I can't imagine why she'd. I mean, I, I think, as I, as I think about that, God just orchestrated it perfectly. Perfectly. So I told you that she was, uh, my mom helped save, you know, her Teach life. Teach you the gospel, yeah. yeah. That was cool. Um, the connection of the story's cool. How can you not see God and all that? Right. Yeah. It's it's amazing. So that's what's cool about God. He will... He's got it already all figured out. He knew how many kids I was going to have, how many grandkids. He knew he's knows he knows everything about us, right? And he puts all the pieces in place, orchestrating it. For how much joy have have you and Deb had? Forty two years, unbelievable joy. Now all good, hundred percent. No, remember I said ninety. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know we've had our struggles, different areas of life. We've had to learn things just like everybody else. Yep. But would you do it all again? Yeah. Yeah. Don't want to. Right. But would. You know, I think if anything, I would make more mistakes. And I'd be more open about it. To, so you could learn from them and yeah. then do it the right way? Yeah. Yeah, but see, now hindsight always tells you what you need to know. So if you did it again, you'd do it automatically, right? You wouldn't do it wrong. Right. But moving forward. Know. Well, moving forward, you'd allow yourself to make mistakes. To make more mistakes. And not beat yourself up about it when you do it. Right. Yeah, and, and to take more risks, really. And absolutely take more risks. I like that. Because if, if, if I know God's got this. Yeah, not, I, not reckless risks. Right. But stuff that you'd say, 
I'm going to get out of my comfort zone. It's kind of a yeah. cliche thing. But I am going to step out a little bit. I'm going to do this. What, one of the questions I was asked a long time ago was, if you knew, if, what would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? Wow. You'd, it'd be unbelievable. Yeah. You'd, you'd, do, you'd try everything, mm-hmm. and you'd do everything, and you, you would take those risks. Right. And if you realize, and this is one of the things that I, that I wish people would would I wish more people would understand, and I'm doing my best to try and as a as a parent educate my kids along these lines is make the mistakes because you're going to grow and learn from them. Yeah. And but you can't just make the mistakes. You've got to step back and learn and grow. And the best way to learn to grow for me for mistakes is to go straight to God. Hey, I did this. I made a mistake. Let's talk about it. He already knows. Right. But the act of me opening up and talking about it, especially with him, it creates tremendous growth, tremendous understanding, and my knowledge, my wisdom, uh, the, my abilities expand for what I can, what I can be involved in and, and, and the impact I can have on, in, in the world and in the lives of others increases dramatically when I make mistakes. Right. You know, and I think here's the part is that I would love our listeners to one get out and make mistakes, and 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 take the risk. You know, if if the if the listener right now doesn't know Jesus, doesn't know God, take the risk of saying hi, take the risk of saying, you know, God, if you're there, uh, um, I'd like to know. It sounds like there's something going on with these two guys that that you're real. God, I, w- I want to know what having a relationship with a real God, a living Absolutely. God, is like. Absolutely. What's What's the alternative? What's the opposite? Best case scenario, um, you don't know what's happening. Right. Okay. Worst case scenario, you could believe what I'm telling you, believe what God's telling you, and all of a sudden you'll have eternity in life in heaven. Right. And a, and a crazy life here. And a, and an unbelievably glorified, powerful God working in you life. Alternative doesn't sound too good. Ah, boring. Kind of. Yeah. You know, either either you're out there completely, you know, throwing caution to the wind just because adrenaline junkie from from one to the next, or you're afraid, so you're not doing anything, so you're not really experiencing life, so to speak. Uh, not to its fullest. I think it was Ben Franklin that said um, most people die at age thirty, but it takes thirty years for the body to catch up. <laughs> I'd never heard that one. Uh, that makes sense. But I also then for the for the listeners that that have engaged God, yeah, but feel like it's dry. Yeah, I don't like, have what you have. Right. I I get out there, risk, take oh, some risk, crack open your Bible. Amen. Right there. I think a lot of it is again and again. I had some guests here recently talk about it's Christ in you that does the work. Yeah, yeah. It's not you. You can't do it. I it doesn't matter how you try. It doesn't matter no. how positive you think you are. How you feel. That's not possible without God in you. Right. And it's Christ in me that does the work. Yeah. Whether and I've got a ministry, whether it's this podcast, whatever it is. Exactly. It's it, nothing about us. It's his strength in me doing the work. Exactly. His wisdom, his insight, because he knows way more than I do. My job is to get in the vine. Yep. Listen. And and as the you know, as the grafted and 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 if anybody doesn't know what grafting is, Google, you know, grafting vines, grafting trees. My job is to get grafted in and pull as much nutrients out of that sap yep. as I can. Yep. 
because what I learned, and I learned this from from an apple farmer, hmm. is um, as I understand it, and I could be very wrong. Um, I've been very wrong before. I don't remember it. <laughs> but the the root of the apple tree and the rest of the tree are not the same tree. Oh, because uh, apple trees typically don't have good root systems. Okay. So they'll take a tree that has a good root system, get it started. And steal it. And chop it off and then graft in the apple tree into it. Hmm. And so then the 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 uh, the apple tree grows from the roots. But the different selections of apples that we get are from different combinations. Okay. And the the sap, the nutrients that come out of the roots will determine very much what that apple tastes like and looks like and and what it is like okay um, and so in that same extent if you want to bear fruit if you want to have joy peace love and you want to have goodness and kindness in your life you got to get grafted into the source there you go and and i don't know another way to do that we talked at the beginning there's three ways to get to know somebody one you can read what others have written two you can talk to people that know them or three, you can go straight to the source and get to know and talk to that person directly. Exactly. And that's, uh, as we've learned over countless centuries now, it's getting into what we what we understand is the Holy Bible mm-hmm. and, and reading it. But not just reading it, but engaging with the God who wrote it. And that means listening. Okay, does God audibly talk to me? No. Does he talk to me through what I read? Yes. How does that work? Well, I don't fully know, except I know there's something about the Holy Spirit that helps get that done. Yeah. And so I don't, it does, I don't need to know. I just know that it works. And I'll tell you when you know it'll work, when it'll work. When you all of a sudden wake up that day and you don't read your Bible. And half the day goes by and you go, and maybe the next day goes by and you don't. And maybe even whenever you all of a sudden get this, wow, I really missed that time. Yeah. What are you missing? You're missing listening to what God's trying to tell you. Right. Right. So as as I, I look on the board here and, and part of our mission is to uh to um encourage men to walk closer to God and then others to walk along. Yeah. I hope we've done that today. I hope so too. I hope so too. Well, you've been listening to the Who is God podcast. Daryl Ron, um good friend, has been my guest. Uh, this has been an amazing, uh amazing podcast. Um And I don't know. I I think we need to do this again. I think you need a part two. (laughs) I think so. (laughs) You've been listening to the Who is God podcast. Join the discussion on Facebook or Instagram. This podcast has been brought to you by Tacklebox Studios. Tacklebox Studios is a 501c3 nonprofit corporation. This podcast has been made possible by generous support from individuals like you. If you found this meaningful, please let us know. Donations can be mailed to Tackle Box Studios, 285 South 68th Street Place, Suite 320, Lincoln, Nebraska, 68510.